But do you feel that you have to use any energy to be ordinary? It's a very good question. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the top of the anthropology class. <laughs> um, yeah, you do. That's a funny question, but it's true, yeah. Sometimes I have to remember to be ordinary because of people's perception of me is not ordinary. And yet, I, it, it's, it's quite easy for me on my own to be ordinary. Don't have to use any energy. But when I'm with people, yeah, I do sometimes have to um, purposely remind them that I'm just a guy. Or else we don't relate in any real terms. We just talk. And I prefer to, to relate on a real level. Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome back to another episode of Paul or Nothing. A long overdue episode of Paul or Nothing, actually. The place to get all of your Paul all of the time. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles, and this is the McCartney podcast that is ever getting concerned, really, with more and more bonus episodes rather than doing good old-fashioned album reviews like we did in the old days. But them's the things about the old days. They're the old days. And now on Paul or Nothing, we have to do more with less. And I finally, after talking about it for maybe more than a year and a half, actually get to put my money where my mouth is. And we finally get to cover a part of McCartney's story that has always drawn as much intrigue as it has humour for me. This is the videography of Paul McCartney. Before we begin, can we just quickly get the housekeeping out of the way? Many apologies. If you want to get in contact with the show, drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. That's paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. If you have anything to say about the show, whether you have an album or song review that we've covered or one perhaps in the future, maybe you've seen Paul, maybe you wish to tell me your Paul McCartney story, how you got into him, maybe you've seen him live, or maybe you just have a complaint. Hopefully not the latter, but either way, Drop us an email. If you heard our Glastonbury show a couple of episodes ago, you would have heard me talking to Matt Phillips, the wonderful Matt, who was our first official Patreon patron. And obviously, the Patreon is the way that we keep the lights running on the show. It's the way that we keep it all ad-free and keep it running. If you'd like to help support that, if you'd like to show some thanks and just some general support for the show, you can find us on Patreon, which is www.patreon.com slash mccartneypod. Check out the blog as well, which is www.wordpress.com slash mccartneypod. Many of the episodes that become bonus episodes, not this one in particular, but loads of our bonus episodes start out life as blog posts. Basically anything that can't fit into a normal episode will basically end up on there. And it is the best way to see them first. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube simply by typing in Paul McCartney Pod or Paul or Nothing. All of our episodes are up on YouTube for free. If you have five minutes, please leave us a five-star iTunes review as well. Simply just log on to iTunes, find us, and you can give us the little five stars there. It helps give us that little bit of exposure and credibility in all the iTunes rankings. And finally, whether you just want to troll me in the early hours of the morning or if you want the genuine, intimate, poor or nothing experience, please join us on our Twitter handle, which is at McCartneyPod. Phew. Ah, I'm glad we can start now because... I've wanted to do this episode for a while, like I say now, and its genesis, as I kind of alluded to, just was amongst the very first of the original bonus episode ideas I had for the show, and since we are swiftly approaching the second anniversary, I thought it was high time we got to move on. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm a regular contributor on my good friend and friend of the show, Mr. Tom Quee's podcast, Alpha Metallica, where I help him review and analyse the music videos of Metallica. It's an absolutely fun experience we have such a laugh making those episodes i'm going to be doing another one soon and i'll be plugging it then as well and here today i won't do the joke we're going to be doing pretty much the exact same thing the only reason i'm bringing him up at all really is because i wanted to point out that this is more of an example of convergent evolution and just you know obvious content choices rather than me stealing another one of his episode ideas honest I've always loved music videos, growing up quite sheltered in the way that I did, not really going out and buying music, not really, not really being explorative or curious towards music whilst I was growing up. My only real exposure to music really was through things 
just like either Top of the Pops on BBC or going on to the music channels. My dad was one of the very first purchasers of, of Sky Music and Sky and he got all those channels very early on in my childhood. And I, I remember being addicted to MTV and Kerrang and Scuzz and all those channels and just being exposed to music that I would have never have heard otherwise. I didn't have friends who liked music either. So this was my only real venture. This was before I had internet. And I always remember being drawn more to the videos that, you know, that visually had something going on, something that would trap me and enthrall me and bring me back again. If the music was great, that would, you know, of course help. And a song can help you know, a very mediocre music video or even a bad music video transcend its, you know, mediocrity or badness. However, if you ended up having a good song with a music video that had a real creative team behind it and a real autorial stamp, you know, a real artistic vision, then you really could, quite rarely, get something rather transcendent that would leave imagery and moments that would just stay with you forever. I also remember my dad purchased the Michael Jackson music video collection on two DVDs and my sister played that thing over and over and over again. So I essentially had no choice in the matter as to whether I would be exposed to the art form of music videos. But what is a music video? Asked the man who didn't quite know how to start off his podcast. Well, to the man who asked that question, I would say that a music video in its rawest form is a marketing product. A product that has seen both a meteoric rise in terms of its influence and artistic merit, followed by a steady decline in relevancy with the death of MTV and the rise of the internet and things like that. And what is this product meant to do? Well, it's meant to sell you records. So anything presented in a music video has the explicit intent of making the purchasing of the song associated with it all the more appealing to an audience member. If the singer looks cool, then you want to buy it. If the music video looks cool, you want to buy it. You want to be involved. You want to get a part of it. So it is all advertising. It is all about mass appeal, appeal and appeal. And this episode, more than an excuse to talk about Paul McCartney's music videos, is just an excuse to talk about my love of the quote-unquote art form as a whole. It is often cited, rather insubstantially, that the Beatles themselves invented the music video. Now, whilst they certainly did pioneer many elements of pop culture that we take for granted today, this actually isn't one of them. They certainly went great lengths to popularise the medium, but they certainly cannot be credited with inventing it. The art of the music video is one that has, in one form or another, been part of our culture since the earliest days of cinema. With the advent of talking pictures in 1926 and the Al Jolson smash hit The Jazz Singer in 1921, The idea of witnessing a quote-unquote live performance of music, or song, as presented by the silver screen, had quickly taken the world by storm. One of my favourite experiments from this era were from the pioneer sibling animators Maz and David Fleischer. Just a year after their animated sound on film series entitled Song Cartoons debuted, they released a cartoon featuring a bouncing ball which hopped over lyrics to encourage in-theatre sing-alongs, which is just absolutely mad when you think about it. I can't understand people eating popcorn, let alone singing along, though I'd never go to one of those Grease or Rocky Horror affairs. Of course, as history went on, the form began to alter and change and progress. Films like Fantasia would be amongst the first creative products to really push the boundaries of what juxtapositions between sight and sound could be achieved. But it was in the rise of the popular Hollywood musical that was the next logical step in the progression to getting music to the viewer. Though, whereas the modern video may be a little more than a non-sequitur and abstract presentation, the classical Hollywood musical was much more of a conventional three-act structure familiar narrative. 
and whilst the great majority of them lack a certain flair, they get the job done and put a smile on your face. And some of my favourite films to this day are classically lame musicals, Carol Reed's incomparable adaptation, uh, Oliver, the transcendent classic, you know, The Wizard of Oz, who I don't think has ever had a bad review ever, or the ever-addictive, ever-sing-alongable Singing in the Rain. You know, these are, to this day, essential viewing for all fans of cinema itself. Tony Bennett once claimed that his performance of Stranger in Paradise, filmed on the 1st of June 1956, was the first true music video. Take my hand, I'm a stranger in paradise All lost in a wonderland Now, whilst it may have had the same marketable intentions as modern music videos, you know, being shopped around UK cinemas and television, it still hardly counts as it was mostly just a live performance that was filmed with no visual language on display or cinematography or anything like that. However, the success of the performance with audiences did go on to inspire many televisual pop musical ventures, most notably Top of the Pops here in the UK. During an interview in 1959, rockabilly star and disc jockey The Big Bopper coined the term music video when he released a performance of his song Chantilly Lace, which, like Bennett's video, did the rounds across TV and cinema, but this time in the US. Hello, baby. Yeah, this is The Big Bopper speaking. Chantilly lace and a pretty face and a ponytail hanging down. Wiggle in the walk and a giggle in the talk. Make the world go round. This video is definitely a step up in the direction of you know, creating something visual that we, that we would recognise as a video. It has charm, humour, and there is clearly a, a creative element involved, and it's not just some live performance with a camera rolling, even if there are extremely many elements of that also. The Beatles were very much an anomaly in this story, and what makes it worse is that there are many definitions of what a music video is and could be at this period, so much so that it's hard to see where the real kicking off point was. You know, if we're going to go, you know, by 100% what we call a music video, then yeah, the Beatles with their double release of Paperback Writer and Rain could be credited. But what about classic performances of She Loves You or I Feel Fine or Help that were very much the beta version music videos, these promotional clips that appeared on the Ed Sullivan show and did the rounds here in the UK too. Do they count? Then to further add to the confusion, we also can't forget about the Beatles' previous feature-length films, which were all in themselves thinly veiled productions to string together what I would call Beatles music videos. You know, we have the monochromatic A Hard Day's Night, where the songs were kind of grounded in a semi-cohesive reality, where they were taking place almost diegetically within the narrative. And then there's the sketch comedy, non-linear, almost schizophrenic technical experiment that is the Magical Mystery Tour. Do these count as music videos as well? Because regardless of the story or whatever was going on in those Beatles films, the fact of the matter is is that people came to see these films to see the music of the Beatles. In fact, many of the Beatles songs that were featured in these movies were not released on albums at the time of the premiere. So if you wanted to see it first, this was the place to be. I couldn't think of a better way to sell an album. Can you? It's clear that the group were very comfortable on screen and they were constantly being filmed and that was one of their greatest strengths. This would mean, you know, their, their image would never fade away, not even for a moment. And it was this power over their image that gave them such a foothold in the pop culture zeitgeist and with youth culture. Whether it's the fashion, the album covers, or even these music videos and films, the image of the Beatles is so in tangibly linked with their success that you really can't tell where one starts and the other begins. 
and Paul was in the middle of all of it. He was the big springboard behind things like the Magical Mystery Tour and doing the Let It Be film. He saw the future. He saw that their future, if they couldn't tour and they didn't want to do live performances anymore, would have to be through visual mediums like film and television. I mean, there must be some sort of alternative dimension somewhere where there is a Beatles music video Netflix type service, but one can only dream. But yeah, for those who haven't seen the videos for Paperback Writer and Rain, seriously, just go to YouTube now. They're up there now. Take the time, just sit down, watch them, and you will see the the birth, the, the patient zero of what we call music videos. It's just another one of those pieces of Beatle media that's a classic for a reason, and you can't argue with it. Finally, the group brought to life their greatest and last live performance at the end of their kind of breakup tantrum documentary that would go on to be called Let It Be in 1970, which is, in my opinion, still kind of the best film that the band ever put out, purely because they are so unhappy in it. The rooftop concert, as it became to known, still sees frequent airplay, screen time to this day, all over YouTube, and it's the perfect blend of kind of music video, live performance, documentary format that encapsulates everything that, that the band was, had been, and where it was going. The director of Let It Be, Michael Lindsay Hogg, of whom we'll be discussing rather a lot in this little side series, yeah, he also happened to helm both music videos for Paperback Writer and Rain, you know, aka the first officially recognised music videos proper ever made. He was kind of clearly riding this pop culture wave at the same time as the Fab Four, and he was uniquely aware of what they were, you know, all creating with this new and exciting art form where he could go, all of the possibilities. And he went into detail with his thoughts in an article with the Guardian newspaper when he said, It was very unusual at the time. They weren't thinking about the future. No one envisioned MTV. Society was changing, and music was the vanguard. The appearance of the musicians, their clothes, hair, their way of talking, was stirring the pot of social revolution. I knew that what we were doing would be part of the history of that time. So, not only had the entire music industry changed after the Beatles made it big in 1963, but also did the way in which it interacted with its audience and its distribution of its product. Where does that leave us today, then? Well, the music video kind of had its zenith and its high point in the 1980s when MTV was at its peak. Of course, there was Michael Jackson's Thriller, which took music videos to a new cinematic height and new production values. But, like I said earlier, with the advent of the internet and streaming sites like YouTube, the reliance on TV and MTV film music videos has declined massively. And now music videos are essentially just adverts and commercials for mobile phones or ways for bands to break into the social media scene. Though for anyone who just saw the Childish Gambino's new music video for This Is America also knows that the art form isn't quite dead just yet. The fact of the matter is that here today, folks, for the purposes of this podcast, is that Paul McCartney was there to witness all of this change. He saw it firsthand and just how influential the art form could be, both artistically and commercially. It would be very unlikely and a very poor business move that Paul would not use everything that he had learned from his experience with the Beatles and try and employ their same tactics in his solo career. And, as the Magical Mystery Tour showed us, Paul is um, a man of endless ideas on set, in addition to a rather keen filmic eye. Then again, it also showed us that he tends to get distracted far too easily and is far too ambitious. So we'll keep our eyes open, peeled either way. If anything, a solo career was going to be Paul's opportunity to be able to stick his nose into the process of filmmaking even further and do music videos the way he always wanted to, in theory. So, now, I'm going to go through the first part of Paul McCartney's discography, his solo discography, since leaving the Beatles, since the big breakup in 1970. And whilst originally I was planning on doing this whole thing as one big episode, it was just never going to work, and it would have been about six hours long, and no, and no one, no one would have been able to sit through it. So instead, what I'm going to do now, I'm going to break it down and turn this into yet another little side project, bonus series, to add to our, our already long list of supplementary material. As usual, this will be a healthy mixture of historical context and painfully biased reviews, as well as me taking every opportunity to poke fun at older, more primitive music videos. He was hardly making music videos with Natalie Portman and Johnny Depp back in 1970, you know. Speaking of 1970, though, I think that's where we will start. The videos. 
The first video we are discussing today, folks, is ironically one of Paul's longest-lasting, most iconic songs of his entire career. This is The Big, The Bad, Maybe I'm Amazed, from 1970. Now, even more surprising than the fact that Paul's debut album did not feature Maybe I'm Amazed as an official single is, despite this very fact, a music video was still commissioned. By whom? I'm not quite sure. This is so odd that I literally cannot come up with any other example like it. And it seems totally like a pointless, wasted effort when you think about it. It's like making a trailer to a movie that doesn't exist and Folks, Paul isn't, you know, Tarantino doing grindhouse trailers, I can tell you that much. This song was poised to take the world by storm. With a music video, even a crap one like the one we're about to discuss here, it could have taken Paul, and maybe even Early Wings, to a level that, you know, we would never even be able to comprehend now. But Paul having a weak beginning is what makes the story so enjoyable anyway, really, isn't it? Even though it would take another six years with the release of Wings over America for this song to see the light of day as a single, there was still clearly enough of a buzz either from Paul himself or from Acapol executives or just the general people around who had heard of it to at least get them to experiment with making a video in the first place. Maybe it was made during a time when there was every intention to produce a single pressing for this song that perhaps that never came to fruition or maybe it was created as leverage to encourage the studio to release it as a single in the first place. Maybe they were a little bit unsure as to the legitimacy and whole idea of a solo Paul and the Beatles were still going at this point. Though once you start to see the video's rather stripped back production, it becomes more clear that this was clearly just something made to keep McCartney quiet or just made to really see what they could do with the art form. It might have even just been a glorified media test just to see if they could do it. But what you do see is that it's not meant to be something that's meant to be sold. This was never meant to be seen in public. This is not a commercial product and has very little in the way of marquee value. And this was made in an era when the idea of a post-Beatles single had never really happened, so there was just very, very little faith in it. But either way, someone did commission it, and they would have had to have worked very closely with Linda, of all people indeed, as they would need to gain access to a cornucopia of intimate McCartney photographs. The video itself, to go along with the album's handmade and homegrown nature, along with that wonderfully rustic photograph of McCartney with his with his young baby in his big furry coat. This video is a suitably very simple affair. It eschews any of the fancy elements like plot, stylistics, even moving images themselves. Instead, what we have is a series, almost living collage, Bayou tapestry of candid, heartwarming snaps of the McCartney family in the house, on the farm and around the studio, which was also the house. Like, if you love nothing more than shots of bearded McCartney hugging Linda, holding Linda, standing with Linda, standing on a rock, standing by grass, looking at things, looking across at things, holding things and trying to look silly, then this is probably going to be your thriller really, isn't it? The images chosen are fortunately shot by one of the best rock photographers in the business, aka the lovely Linda, and they've been carefully selected to reflect the romantic nature of the song, to big up the relationship between Paul and Linda and to fill you full of that warm, familial gooeyness. However, it is hard not to also see what's going on behind the scenes in that very translucent manner, as the photos go out of their way to evoke that post-Beatle, everything's totally fine, macaganda. 
Though, in the end, the simplicity of the video does allow the song to do the talking and stand up on its own merits, which is perfect for such an instantly powerful track like Maybe I'm Amazed. But I never thought I'd say this, perhaps maybe this is one of the few examples where I probably would have just preferred a, a, a shot of Paul sat at the piano doing this song. I mean, you can see why this, this was never released. It would have been laughed out of, well, MTV didn't exist at this point. I'm not sure where exactly it would have been shown, if it, if it, it would have been shown on TV at all. But yeah, the only reason this would have worked is the fact that Maybe I'm Amazed is as good as it is. Like, I know Paul wanted to go back to basics with, with things like Let It Be, but this is just a little bit embarrassing in spots. It's not the best of starts, really, is it? I mean, it's not like bad, bad or anything, but we haven't even got an actual video yet, Paul. <sighs> right, let's press on, shall we? What do we have next? I'm glad I asked. Up next, we move on from the holiday photos and summer snaps onto the 8mm family home videos instead, as we bear witness to Paul and Linda living it up where else but the heart of the country from 1971. I look high, I look low, I look in every Looking for a home in the heart of the country see when you pop this music video on YouTube just highlights how ancient this thing is because unlike the modern day luxuries whereby music channels and internet video streaming sites can simply put the titles overlaid down usually in the bottom left hand corner no such luxury existed so they had to make do with what they had so in a very grand cinematic fashion we have in big bold yellow very ram-esque Times New Roman writing Heart of the Country from Ram by Paul and Linda McCartney. Wow, it's just right up there on the screen. It's so cute and quaint. And again, it just shows how they did not plan on this ever being watched in any sort of repeat way, or at least I hope not. Clearly this was meant to be a, a thing that you saw once because maybe you only got the chance to see it once. So they better bloody well make sure you know all the info. Heart of the Country from Ram by Paul and, and Linda McCartney. Just rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? Then, after that, thankfully, we finally move on to the comfortable realm of 24 frames per second. And the footage itself is some wonderfully vintage, candid footage of Paul and Linda doing all sorts of frolicky things, you know, climbing hills, riding horses, strolling on the beach, basically recreating the song Country Dreamer right in front of our very eyes. It's all very well shot. It's undeniably charming from the outset to the end. Paul and Linda have an instant chemistry on screen that really should have been exploited more throughout this videography series, but sadly wasn't. And in all fairness, it does look like it could be part of some long lost Paul McCartney home video collection, despite you know, how obviously staged it is. And on the surface, it all seems very cheery, very happy. The song is nice and bouncy. Everyone's smiling, but Again, there's a dark underbelly to this that I can't help but see in a world where we've just, you know, grown so accustomed to endless media spin and public relations. It's it's easy to see this video for Heart of the Country for just more of that well-shot propaganda that Paul's putting out during this period. And that seems to be coming over the artistic merit of the track. Even though it is appropriate and it does fit that it's footage of Paul and Linda being happy. I just can't help but feel like, oh, but of course it is. Of course it is. And when is propaganda ever shot badly anyway? This propaganda is comprised of more stage set pieces and events than an episode of Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmare and a Steven Spielberg summer blockbuster combined. And were it not for the genuine affection that Paul and Linda actually share on screen and their chemistry, this picture postcard would simply feature the most doe-eyed, sentimental, sickly sweet nonsense ever put to film. There's just so much frolicking, isn't there? 
The only way that these two ever get away with this nonsense though is that you kind of know that they aren't actually dorky enough to slide down a beach sand dune together on their bum and walk hand in hand in their naff little jumpers. Now, whilst I know that maybe I'm Amazed was chosen because it's objectively the best song on the album, with Heart of the Country, I am more inclined to believe that it was chosen purely because it would better serve the Macca propaganda machine than the others. We don't have any of the best of the angry rockers that made up the majority of Ram. But no, here we have the softest spoken and least controversial of all the tracks. And on top of that, it could easily be filmed up in Scotland on the cheap for MPL. And it would be the perfect avenue, like the cancelled first video, to show the world just how wonderfully lovey-dovey happy they were together up in the north. I mean, I don't want to be too harsh on this one. It is quite cute. And if you are a fan of this song, like I know that my good friend of the show, Mr. Tom Quee, is, then this music video will be just up your alley. I guess it just it's hard for me to enjoy it with the cold, cynical critic's edge that I've built up over this show. I don't hate it. I just can't bring myself to enjoy it. It's definitely one of those it's-not-you-it's-me moments. Moving swiftly on to the third video we're going to be discussing, and it's the first to come from Paul's brand spanking new band called Wings. Get your bongs and your condoms ready. This is High High High. What's odd about this release is that Wings have already been around for a year by this point, released an album and a single, and no music video to be found. I mean, it's normal now for an unsigned band to have 10 videos on Vimeo at least. And despite how expensive it probably was, you'd think that something from wildlife was possibly worth making a music video of, but apparently not. Not that a video of Dear Friend would have helped matters much or anything. As the host of this show and an orator of Macca history, as it were, I'd like to start the, this part of the show by telling you all about how High High High, one of Wings' best hard rock tracks, was suitably accompanied by an equally badass video full of bright lights and energy and creativity and left me full of interesting images to absorb. But, like I said, I must report only on the historical fact, and it must be said that out of everything that this video inspires, badassery is not amongst them. So to start this video off, we have another adorably dated title card, just as those few awesomely twangy notes ring out, and rather tellingly, it does not say Wings, it says Paul McCartney and Wings, hi hi hi. Again, showing how poorly the idea of Paul's band had gone down the first time, so it really is important to make a good impression this second first time around. And then the video starts. And, you know, the first thing that really gets my knickers in a twist about this music video is just how cheap and pathetically unambitious this is for this band's first exposure to the public. Paul is really not selling this as a band with any fresh or creative or genre-defining ideas at all. This is exactly what a post-Beatles music video was supposed to look like in everyone's eyes. Just cheap and rubbish and it just makes everyone miss the Beatles. It's really quite shocking that this was the band's first real exposure to the public as an image. Like, I've got nothing against the director or anything, but... You know what, I do actually. I know, he, you know he's not the only man responsible, but... Fuck me, is this thing such a lead balloon of direction and cinematography? Like, you really have to see it to believe it. So, the first thing we have is our entire band in darkness, okay? You know, no worry, lots of... You know, obscurity to, to hide the band to a certain dramatic level for an, a nice reveal which is promising because at least the first few frames aren't completely horrible but then the lights come down but only on Denny and Henry McCulloch and this would work say if they were the only ones playing but Paul and the other Denny are also quite clearly jamming along and it's what can only be described as the worst money shot reveal in history 
you're meant to go, wow, wings! And it's just, who are these guys? And then there's the lights themselves. And I know they didn't exactly have the Top of the Pops budget, but couldn't they have found something with a little bit of a higher wattage than a candlestick? I mean, when the lights finally do descend on the group, it's almost like they're intentionally trying to remain hidden in the darkness. Like, the lighting crew all knew how the band and MPL were all ashamed to be this, so purposely shrouding them in a dignified darkness was the best move. It hid the fact that they didn't have the set, anything visually interesting or vibrant to look at, or anything fun to do with the musicians at all. And the direction, especially as a man who has attempted a few music videos for crappy teenage bands in his time over the years, so I can say this, is fucking hack fraud. The bloke Paul picked to helm this video, as well as its B-side, Sea Moon, that we will be discussing shortly as well, was a man named Stephen Turner, a man most famous for his work on the late night BBC2 show Colour Me Pop, and bugger me sideways if I know how he got the job, and you know, I'm applying for apprenticeships and film jobs all over the country and yet somehow this guy gets to direct a Paul McCartney music video. A video that is comprised of what can only be called a bewildering arrangement of random shots, bizarre close-ups of instruments in the wrong part of the song that don't match up, pointless pans, strange, strange decisions on what to keep in focus and to top it all off, to really give these soggy shots a bit of life he, he he attempts to stitch them all together with the most sluggish lazy editing ever like fuck me this song is ever so much fun and yet the dip in quality in translating that into the video is staggering uh, perhaps that it was meant to like purposely be you know a real jarring experience like wings's most vibrant and fun and electric rocker maybe ironically has the worst video maybe that was entirely intentional probably not i mean couldn't the director at least have not kept in so many shots of the band looking completely and utterly bored as bored as the audience mind you it helps keep the illusion alive if we don't see blank faces on the band you know Altogether, the direction has the air of someone who really didn't know what they were supposed to be doing and had absolutely no fresh ideas to offer and simply just had the band perform live through a few cameras around the room, hoped they were pointing in the right direction and then stitched what they had together. But, as ever, without coming down too harshly on Mr Turner, with all of these videos you have to consider whether any of these directors are just pawns of Paul McCartney and how much creative freedom that they actually have on these projects, as it's extremely questionable at best. Up next we have the B-side to the song that we just heard, and I think it's quite neat that we would have a music video for a B-side at all actually, and I wish it had been standard practice for the band as possibly a unique little selling point. For those of you not yet in the know, the B-side to High 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 is C Moon. Was that the intro I should have been in? It's rather fitting that this song is the B-side to the song that came before because outside of a costume change it really feels like it could have just been shot on the same set and on the same day as High High High. Although the odd thing about this music video is that in terms of actually looking and functioning like a music video it almost seems like a polar opposite of High 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 and if it was shot on the same day it's the quickest turnaround in quality of any director in the history of film. And Whilst I'm not saying this is a masterpiece or anything, still, to go from completely incompetent to reasonably competent is still quite the jump. Regardless of whether these two music videos were in fact shot in the same day is now irrelevant, as it's clear that Sea Moon got the lion's share of the creativity involved regardless. Clearly, Stephen Turner, the descendant of William Turner from the Pirate of the Caribbean's movies, had clearly learned from some of the mistakes that he had made during his previous outing with Wings. 
as you watch the video, it's such a complete 180 degree of what you just saw before, and it makes me again wonder if the two pieces are linked somehow, and there's some artistic significance that's gone over my head, but as a rule of thumb, as we know, it's best not, not to go too deep with wings at all. And what do we have going on here? Well, first of all, the one thing that the director hasn't learned is how to come up with a concept for a music video in the first place that isn't just the band standing in front of a camera. But again, early days of the art form and questionable power battles with Maka noted. But in all fairness, it is a better rendition of the band just standing there routine than the one we've had before. And it is way more full of charm and cutesy appeal than it has any right to at all. Who would have thought that out of High 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 and Sea Moon that Sea Moon would have had the better music video? I really wish they would have done Sea Moon first just so they could have gotten it out of the way. But yeah, onto the song. And the one thing that you will see when you watch Sea Moon in comparison to High 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 is that the director has actually taken the time to find out what makes the song tick and how the visual accompaniment to this song should actually look. This song actually feels like it is taking its time and making sure that it looks good, makes sense, and sells the song. The band is well lit this time around with a bright, bold background. All of the band are brightly dressed and very stylish, and Linda has some bright, shiny sequins that shine rather nicely. And they're all actually bothered to move around to the beat a little bit, whilst looking like they actually want to fucking be there with a smile. There's also this rather little, iconic little bass lick that adorns the start of Sea Moon, and the video actually bothers to cut to Denny at the right moment, playing said lick right at the same time. Twice! It's almost like it was actually choreographed and timed and worked out ahead of time or something. Turner clearly has matured as a director, as he simply frames the band in a much more professional light this time around. For all the song's mawkish silliness, Paul looks suitably impassioned and at home on the piano, and the same can be said for Linda and Denny on their backing vocals, with Henry and Denny Sywell both bashing away with their sticks in the background wonderfully. And yeah, Henry McCulloch does play the xylophone in this one. And then I was like, whoa, holy shit, there's this bird's eye view vertical shot, and I started to wonder whether Steven Turner was becoming a little bit too ambitious for his own good here, but it's all composed reasonably well, the editing is much more in pace and in keeping with the rhythm and the mood of the song, and despite the fact that things start to become a little bit more random here and there, I guess that kind of works more in favour for a song like Sea Moon than a song like High High High. One of the most hilarious and standout aspects to me about this video though is how the opening of the whole affair clearly demonstrates how the quote-unquote director had a massive problem in syncing up all the singing and the instrumentation within the track. Because the opening of Sea Moon has quite a bit of spontaneous ad-libbing in it and either the band had simply forgotten how to do it or they tried to do it and simply couldn't recreate it on camera or maybe the band just couldn't be bothered to try and recreate it but what we are left with either way is a hilarious little series of shots that are desperately trying to edit and cut around the fact that the mouths and instruments are clearly not syncing with the lips and hands on screen especially with Linda quick cut to Paul's hands quick cut to the bass quick cut to Paul's hands again oh my god do not show the mouth oh no I can see Linda's clearly not singing that's Sea Moon. Following swiftly on from those two videos for singles, we move on to the first music video Paul made to promote an album with a band since the days of the Beatles. The album in question was Red Rose Speedway, and the song, of course, is My Love. for my love was whoa 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 poorly boy what the fuck is that thing hanging off the back of your head oh no fuck me we've entered into the mullet period haven't we oh for fuck's sake okay yeah yeah it's fine let me just start again compose myself the video for my love was in many ways a direct reflection of the album that it came from like red rose speedway it's safe non-threatening family-friendly and designed for mass-market appeal, despite its 
obviously questionable ability to achieve it. Get ready folks, this one's going to get a bit sappy. I will admit right now that whilst I've never been the biggest fan of this song, I've always still respected it and accepted that in all fairness, it's still the best song on the album so of course it was going to get the video. I mean, it is a nice change of pace to actually see something that actually has a bit of buzz behind it before the video is put into production for a change. The long overdue step up in the effort factor is immediately noticeable across the board in every aspect of this video's production, most notably in the picture quality as well, as we seem to have moved on to a proper cinematic camera rather than whatever you know, just junk was lying around on the BBC studio for Hi 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 and Sea Moon. Often being dubbed the man who shot the 70s, director Mick Rock was well versed in the art of shooting the biggest stars of the day. He was the chief photographer on the Rocky Horror Picture Show and did a bunch of album covers as well as a few videos for Bowie as well. And based on his other work, this video might be the nadir of his career. Let's get that right out of the way. You know, okay, this is very well shot, very well paced, and he actually has a tangible atmosphere for the song to inhabit and it, it ticks all the boxes. But the question I want you all to answer is, is this the image that Paul McCartney the man who supposedly wants Wings to be a proper rock band really wants to put out there for his quote-unquote rock band. Like, is this is this the correct image for this rock band? I, I'm not particularly sure. Like, you know, I know the original double album of Red Rose Speedway was much more rock orientated and then that was gutted and the album that we got was a different beast altogether, but this video is a great example of Paul's inability to sell the band the way they needed to be. Soft lighting, in a palette of pinks and mellow reds and a literal smoky romantic atmosphere and everything is shot in, with, with a light touch and a soft focus lens that makes everything on screen just look so dreamy and classically Hollywood in, in, in this wonderful landscape. Although, what I will say, I do really like the very first shot of Paul being completely enveloped in the mist and the shadow. It was a great little intro shot for, uh, you know, that for at least one second of the video definitely worked for me and got me a little bit tense and hyped up. The shot is actually redone for the end of the video as well, which is a nice little bookend I suppose, but that's where the visual flair for this one ends for me. This video is damage control from the word go really, and you can tell, I mean, from that first swelling note the camera is almost immediately fixated on Paul's cherub-like lovey-dovey face, and outside of Henry's solo towards the end, the rest of the video hardly changes either, with Paul being front and centre for the majority of the affair. This is, after all, the album whereby McCartney is trying to get this new band back on course by repackaging the band as Paul McCartney and Wings. And whilst we don't have a title card that explicitly states Paul McCartney and Wings, you can feel it throughout this whole video. It just stinks of, you know, you know Paul McCartney, the Beatle, you recognise the name, this is something you like, please buy me. Wings, in a moment of panic here, has resorted to selling Paul's image, and this is just a massive regression in what their image should be, both literally in how it looks and in terms of its philosophy. The video is also cheap from the word go, as once again, for a third video in a row, we have what can only be described as the band just standing there again. Whenever I watch this, I can't help but picture all of the executives at Capital, at NPL, at Apple, at Columbia, at Parlophone, all sitting around thinking of ways that they can lessen the damage of a large-scale, expensive post-Beatles Paul McCartney album potentially blowing up in their face again. So we'll pick a nice romantic song with no need for extravagant imagery and this will mean that it'll be a nice and cheap venture in case this whole venture blows up again in our face. This way they'll still get the, the song out again and they'll hopefully give the band some sort of exposure but it's it's at the, it's at the price of putting out a quality product which is far too much of Wings' story really isn't it? Though, before we leave, the greatest missed opportunity of this music video was that, that they never actually showed the footage of Henry McCulloch throwing up on set. Like, you know, it's just McCartney going, My love does it! And then just Paul going, Oh, for fuck's sake, Henry! Or something, you know, to that effect. And do not even get me started on the McCartney's lame-ass prom night dancing hand-in-hand hand either. Or that king-sized Homer psychedelic moo-moo that Linda's wearing. Seriously, it's the most ridiculous looking thing I think I've ever seen in a music video ever. Especially when she's doing her LSD tripping out swaying during Henry's solo as well. It's just a surreal image. And this is in a music video with Paul's mega mullet as well, so that is saying something. 
Up next, we have one of the standout tracks from Band on the Run, despite the fact that here in the UK, it never actually appeared on the album. Buckle your seatbelts up and fill up the tank. This is Helen's Wheels. returning to comparable levels of musical quality with his past Beatles output for Bang on the Run, it made sense that he would return to the man who crafted his 60s cinematic brand more so than anyone, Mr. Sorry, Sir Michael Lindsay Hogg, Hogg or Lindsay Hogg, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure which he would prefer but I'll, I'll press on, was the man who essentially, as I mentioned earlier, defined the Beatles technical image and has a, na a natural flair for creating exciting visuals out of the everyday and the mundane. It may not be the, the most romantic of skills, but it's extremely difficult to pull off, and he does so effortlessly in a kind of almost Shane Meadows manner, but a lot, a lot less gritty, shall we say. The video for Helen Wheels itself is just as much fun as the song, and it's a breath of fresh, excitable air into these proceedings, even just for me as a critic, viewing a bunch of these videos in a row. I'm just so glad to have something fun to talk about. We finally get a music video that isn't just a selection of still images or plain old footage of the band playing in a dingy room somewhere. I mean, yeah, I was a little worried initially when I, you know, the first couple of opening shots for this song are the band playing in a room, but at least we had a giant pink background this time. Then the video swiftly decides that it's mature enough to leave the nest and in a flash we are hitting the road, putting the pedal to the metal and very appropriately we have the gang driving up and down the country in a car. Oh my gosh, it's so fucking exciting to actually see some fucking movement on the screen. And I don't know whether it's because I've been so deprived of some kineticism on this episode, but watching this music video makes me feel the wind rush through my hair. I can feel the vibrations of the car through my body. And in all honesty, puts a smile on my face whenever I watch it. Normally when you review a project and you say that you can tell that the people who made it are having fun, normally that's quite a bad thing. It kind of implies a little bit of self-indulgence or, or lack of care. But with this, I mean it in the best possible way. You know they had fun making this music video, and that transfers and that transcends over to me, the viewer, every single time. I think the best word to describe this video would be schizophrenic, again, in the best kind of way. Lindsay Hogg is clearly very excitable and an easily bored individual, as the video jumps around from random shot to random shot with all the childlike enthusiasm that you know could only be contained within an adult-sized man, I suppose. I mean, the variety of odd imagery is just relentless, and I'm not on about like trippy, psychedelic, artistic imagery either. It's just that, that, that there's no logical progression from shot to shot. It's all very quick and in your face and bam, 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 and there's no narrative cohesion whatsoever. Like one minute we're in the studio, then we're back in the car, then it's a close-up of Paul against some pagan artwork, and then there's some weird cutouts and frames of the band and then suddenly the screen is bisected and we have lots of different shots composited together and then there's some out of nowhere edits and cuts and then we're back on the road again and yet despite how negative I'm coming across with this this just adds to the wild nature of this song and this is probably one of those examples whereby if this style of filmmaking and this type of editing was applied to any other song it probably wouldn't have worked this is exactly what music videos are for me, this wonderful convergence of sound and sights together and it just works together to create something really quite unique. Wings has always been a shambles, they've always been random and spontaneous and when they had such dull promotional material before they just looked like any other ordinary twat band. At least here I feel like I'm watching a Wings music video. Much like the rest of the videos for this seminal album, for all of Helen Wheel's charms, it still has that very rushed and whipped up on the spot feeling at the same time. So it's clear that no one within the band or anyone there on staff at, at MPL had any idea that this little band on the run LP was going to be the smash hit that it was. So in response, everyone is having to make hay whilst the sun is shining and throw something together so that they can milk this newfound success for all it's worth. Oh, and I have to draw attention to two of my favourite visuals in this video. The first is Denny Lane's abysmal facial hair. 
He looks like Worf from Star Trek. It's very odd. I know I had a pop at Paulie's mullet earlier, and I will throughout the rest of this series, actually, for that matter, but the ratty Fu Manchu moustache that Denny sports here is one of the most gripping sights I've ever seen, and I couldn't take my eyes off it. It was an absolute, absolute car crash. And how could I not mention the cracking little moment towards the end where Linda straight up gives the fuck you flying V two fingers straight to the camera? But it's her reaction that I love, whereby you can clearly tell that I don't think she knew that anyone was actually recording and then someone's told her that they were recording and she's gone, oh no, like that. It's very charming, it's very cute. And I just love how it was obviously snuck into the final edit, most likely, you know, probably because the guidelines weren't as strict because it wasn't actually MTV. Maybe there was more private showings of it and stuff like that. But yeah, it's a nice little moment for Linda for me. Very much like Goodnight Tonight and Mull of Kintyre that would follow it, Paul was a fan of making sure that badass non-album singles were at least graced with a music video at least as you know, as far as England saw it. And for many Brits, this may very well have been the only exposure they had ever got to this song. So it's a good thing that it does exist, really. And many, 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 many years ago before this podcast even existed, this was probably the very first music video for Wings that I had ever seen. And I think I only looked it up because I did not believe that there was a song from Band on, on the Run that I had not heard of. So YouTube had to quickly prove me wrong. This video offers us some fantastic shots of Paul on bass, but not on his Hofner violin, but on a cracking little Rickenbacker and then we also see him having a whale of a time on the drums oh and some guitar also in fact the video itself seems to be pretty empty compared to the last couple of outings whereby Paul is adopting all of the bandmates roles in in some sort of Eddie Murphy meet the clumps nutty professor type situation and it only goes to highlight the fact that we are now down two band members short of a winged bird However, rather like how dropping Henry and the other Denny was almost just what the band needed to trim the fat down and start producing some seminal work, I almost feel like that feeling is carried on through to the video as well, as the lack of visual clutter gives the video a vibrancy and carefree atmosphere. Now, whilst some may argue that this is merely another part of the infamous Macaganda machine, I personally feel that the band had a certain weight lifted off their shoulders at this point, and the fun and the freedom that they had, and was a simple byproduct of the band being able to spread their wings. No pun intended. And for our final music video of the day, we're going to take a trip to the wonderfully creative, cost-effective land of animation with Mamunia. In all honesty, I had no clue as to why Mamunia had a music video and songs like No Words and 1985 didn't make the cut. But hey, this is the world in which we live in. And in this reality, we have to make do with what we have. And at least we have something to talk about to fill the next few minutes of this podcast until the next episode. Sorry if I'm sounding so apathetic, but as with Dr. Robert on Revolver, I hate it when my artists take such a step back and regress into a lamer art form. I want fun, energetic, live wings music videos where they're driving down the highway again. Not this. Well, this is certainly a left turn and it was a curveball that I didn't see coming. And whilst I knew that MPL was cheap, I didn't know that things were this fucking close to the breadline. Things had been stepped up somewhat for Helen Wheels and initially made me wonder whether they'd simply spunked the entire budget for the Band on the Run promotional material on a single video and this is the best they could come up with in the interim. Well. That's what I used to think anyway, and in fact, the truth is all the more stranger for this video's origin. Now, Band on the Run first hit the shelves back in 1973, and as we know, it was a little while before the album began to pick up the kind of rollercoaster momentum that it had. However, unlike the makeshift semi-animated video for Maybe I'm Amazed, this one had much more of an afterthought atmosphere to me. It felt more cold together and I was a little suspicious because in the titanic success that was left in the wake of Band on the Run, I expected something a little more professional for them to be able to cash in on it. And the video reminded me of Maybe I'm Amazed, but only in the sense that I felt that this is something that shouldn't have been released. Like, yeah, it's a fine concept, but compare this to Helen Wheels and it, it's embarrassing. 
but that was still not the case. In fact, I am led to believe that Maka, MPL, or anyone previously mentioned on this show had nothing to do with the production of this video. The producer of this oddity was a man named Jim Quick, probably named after his work Turnover, and he is one of two sidemen in this story who would have taken it upon themselves to make a music video for Band on the Run, but more on the other chap next episode. The, the video that Quick made, like I said, is mostly animated, and is rather unique as he decided not to animate Paul or any of the band at all, maybe for copyright reasons perhaps. It was first shown on something called the Dave Cash Radio Show, and barely did the rounds in any form due to it existing before MTV and YouTube would not be up for another 40 years. And YouTube, annoyingly, with MPL, keeps taking it down, so I can only watch it on Vimeo at the moment. But if they take that down as well, I will be forced to watch it on the 2007 video set, The McCartney Years, or the 2010 DVD reissue of Band on the Run. So yeah, this is not an official music video. Some man just randomly started animating a music video for Mamunia off his own back. What an oddity, right? I mean, unless you were brushed up on your Macca history, then you, you would just assume that this is just one of the many official music videos that were made for selling the album. You might have noticed a dip in quality like I did, but you wouldn't know that it, it wasn't officially licensed. It's like seeing black market merchandise in China or something. So, now that I've rambled on about this video in the way that I ramble on about songs that are more interesting as bite-sized trivia nuggets than as actual pieces of music, I think it's high time that I, I actually describe the video itself. Well, in all honesty, rather like, say, communism or having genuine emotions for other people, this video works extremely well on paper, but those real-life applications seem quite limited. And no, I'm not even referencing the fact that almost the entire video is created on and drawn on and presented on a literal paper canvas. But the fact that I really, really, on paper, should be all over this type of music video and be wanking off and, and be fawning over this type of animation. What type of animation, I hear you say? Well, specifically, this is a brand of animation most famously popularised by the enigmatic bunch of water genius that is Sir Terry Gilliam for Monty Python's Flying Circus, and it's simply known as cutout animation. This is the process whereby individual pieces of paper are photographed as frames, and then they are run through as a series of photographs, put, putting them all together, possibly averaging, uh, usually averaging 24 frames per second, and it creates a crude sense of motion, and this would go on to be perfected in shows like South Park. Now, this video is no Monty Python, and this video is no South Park, not even the first episode, and it very much feels like what it is, a fan project. It's a noble effort indeed, I do not decry it at all, but the creativity could definitely have used a cash injection to sell us the whole package. I mean, the whole thing comes across like a struggling anime show, whereby every conceivable animation's corner is cut in favour of keeping production costs down. We have several instances where there's just very little going on and there's nothing moving on screen at all, which, which is nice and cheap. It even gets to the point where they just resort to putting still images of the lyrics on screen, which once you've drawn once, you can just leave there for 24 frames per second. I'm not saying this is lazy, I'm just saying corners were cut to keep it down. And in some cases, budget constraints can create a certain amount of creativity and create a bit of innovation. Here, it just feels terribly constrained. It even resorts to just putting lyrics on screen in different fonts. Think more altogether now from Yellow Submarine, more so than, say, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds from Yellow Submarine. One element of the video that I do find weak as well is the constant use of that vocal audio modulator green wire image. You know the one I'm on about, you know, when it, it, it looks like a heart rate monitor with that green line that moves up and down, but instead it, it like represents the changing vocal uh, patterns. Like, I'm okay with a certain amount of filler in this type of fan-made music video, but this is the filler of the filler. And then we get to the twist. Yes, folks, this video actually does have a twist, and one of Shamalamian proportions, as I really did not expect it at all, because it's actually quite creative. So, as we know, the video up until this point has been this primitive little animated affair, and then out of nowhere, two photorealistic hands come into frame and start rolling up the very canvas that we had assumed was our screen portal into the world of Mamunia. And the hands that are literally rolling up reality, once they're done and, you know, placing us into this tube, a figure in a yellow raincoat, whom I originally assumed was Denny Lane when, when I first saw it, just upsticks and walks off with all of re reality under his arm. Bloody charming, right? It is such a random and trippy twist that it almost redeems the entire music video. Almost, but not quite. 
there we have it folks that was our final video for the day and wow I am actually quite knackered after that I actually can't believe I was actually considering doing all of the entire videography in one sitting oh how naive I was eh overall though how have we done well it's kind of been predictably naff hasn't it outside of Helen Wheels we really haven't gotten close to the quality promotional material that would surely befit half of the Lennon McCartney writing partnership perhaps the financial backers behind McCartney were just too scared to invest in in something of a of a higher quality product because Wings was just so new and had never been done before. Maybe the creative types behind these projects were, were naff. Maybe it's a symptom of the art form of music videos still being quite you know, young and in a fledgling state. And as we discussed earlier, we, we, we can't deny the possibility that Mac had just stuck his nose in and decisions that he could make could actually affect the videos in any part of the production. Perhaps it's cruel for me to be sat here mocking what is essentially a young child equivalent of a music video, but, you know, for the man who was involved in the making of A Hard Day's Night and Help, and is the head of his own propaganda wing that garners and catalogues his entire image, simply should know a little bit better, really. I'm just a little bit disappointed. And yeah, you know, the point is is that Wings were forging their, their new image and their identity and blah, blah, blah. But it really comes across that Paul had no idea what he was doing when he was in control of the visual output of the band. He knew how, how to look after himself, but he didn't know what Wings was at all. And a lot of these early days image gaffes are much more self-inflicted than MPL would probably ever publicly admit. Hopefully we can step things up for the next episode, though. Who knows? Thank you so much for listening, folks. Thank you so much for listening for the first part of our videography series. It's actually going to be a very fun little side project for me to keep revisiting for this one. Obviously, join our Twitter, which is at McCartneyPod. It's the central hub for the show, and it's the best way for you to get in contact with me really, really quickly. If you have any opinions on any future videos that Paul McCartney's done, whether in Wings or Solo, whether you want to warn me about one, maybe you even worked on one, Please let me know your opinions by dropping me an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Maybe you even want to come on the next episode and help me out. The shamelessly quickest way to get on the show is actually just to simply join our Patreon. Our Patreon is www.patreon slash McCartneyPod, and it's the way that we keep the, the lights running on the show. It keeps the show free, it keeps just the show ad-free, most importantly, and it just allows me to keep the show at the quality that I like. And if you want to help see the quality of the show improve, then check out our Patreon and become a patron. Find us on YouTube and Facebook, like, like I say, simply by typing in Paul McCartneyPod or Paul or Nothing. And last but not least, please leave us a five star iTunes review on iTunes you, you know all about that by now please take the time to do that if you could I haven't seen any up yet I'd like to see some by the next episode thank you very much and last but not least please check out the blog anything that I can't put into an official episode will, will go on the blog in one way or another obviously I've just started my new job now so blog posts have become a little bit more irregular and shaky but there's always new content up on there every week or every couple of weeks and many of our bonus episodes start out life as blog posts so it's a great way to see that content first and you can find that at www.paulmcconneypod.wordpress.com there we are thank you so much for listening ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for even just downloading this episode and getting this far to the end obviously the show has seen some great growth lately i can only thank each and every one of you listeners out there whether you're downloading whether you're writing in whether you're sending in emails and content whether you're supporting us on the patreon whatever you do for the show i am eternally grateful i love doing this show we've been doing it nearly two years now i have so much fun doing this for you every week and it's just the best excuse ever just to keep talking about paul mccartney and who wouldn't want to do that actually one of the big developments in my life surrounding Paul McCartney is that one of the accountants at, at my new job is actually a massive Paul McCartney fan he knows all the albums to, to the extent whereby he, he probably could come on a bonus episode of this show and pretty much every early break that I have now where I, where I have lunch I can guarantee that he'll be sat down in the break room and we'll probably chat the shit on pipes of peace or something like that good times oh there we are folks i'm sure denny lane is playing us out right now i've already been excessively thanking you off for the last couple of minutes so i'll dial it back now i hope you enjoyed it paul is dead coming up soon as well as tug of war and other bonus episodes coming up very soon as well thank you very much ladies and gentlemen take care peace and love peace and love bye bye